Section 9 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Woolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 9. The next morrow, being Mary Magdalene's day, all things being furnished, my Lord Cardinal rode out of Calais with such a number of black velvet coats as hath not been seen with an ambassador. All the spears of Calais, Guines, and Hams were there attending upon him in that journey in black velvet coats, and many great and massy chains of gold were worn there. Thus passed he forth with three gentlemen in a rank, which occupied the length of three-quarters of a mile or more, having all his accustomed and glorious furniture carried before him, even as I before have rehearsed, except the broad seal, the which was left with Dr. Taylor in Calais, then master of the rolls, until his return. Passing thus on his way, and being scant a mile of his journey, it began to rain so vehemently that I have not seen the like for the time. That endured until we came to Boulogne, and, or we came to Sandinfeld, the Cardinal of Lorraine, a goodly young gentleman encountered my lord, and received him with great reverence and joy, and so passed forth together until they came to Sandinfeld, which is a place of religion standing between the French, English, and the Emperor's dominions, being neuter, holding of neither of them, and being come thither, met with him there, the Comte Brion, captain of Picardy, with a great number of men of arms, as Stradio and Albanois, with others standing in array, in a great piece of oats, all in harness, upon light horses, passing with my lord, as it were, in a wing, all his journey through Picardy, for my lord somewhat doubted the emperor, lest he would lay an ambush to betray him, for which cause the French king commanded them to await upon my lord for the assurance of his person out of the danger of his enemies. Thus rode he accompanied until he came to the town of Boulogne, where he was encountered within a mile thereof with the worshipfulest citizens of the town, having among them a learned man that made to him an oration in Latin, unto the which my lord made answer semblably in Latin. And that done, Mons du Biez, captain of Boulogne, with a retinue there of gentlemen, met him on horseback, which conveyed him into the town with all this assembly, until he came to the abbey gate, where he lighted and went directly into the church, and made his prayers before the image of Our Lady, to whom he made his offering. And that done he gave there his blessing to the people with certain days of pardon. Then went he into the abbey where he was lodged, and his train were lodged in the high and base towns. The next morning, after he heard Mass, he rode unto Montreux-sur-la-Mer, where he was encountered in like case as he was the day before, with the worshipfulest of the town, all in one livery, having one learned that made an oration before him in Latin, whom he answered in like manner in Latin. And as he entered into the town, there was a canopy of silk embroidered with the letters and hat that was on the servants' coats, borne over him by the most persons of estimation within the town. And when he was alighted, his footmen seized the same as a fee due to their office. Now was there made divers pageants for joy of his coming, 
who was called there and in all other places within the realm of france as he traveled le cardinal pacifique and in latin cardinalis pacificus who was accompanied all that night with divers worthy gentlemen of the country thereabout the next day he rode towards abbeville where he was encountered with divers gentlemen of the town and country and so conveyed unto the town where he was most honorably received with pageants of divers kinds wittily and costly invented standing in every corner of the streets as he rode through the town having a like canopy borne over him being of more richer sort than the other at montreuil or at boulogne was they brought him to his lodgings which was as it seemed a very fair house newly built with brick at which house king louis married my lady mary king harry the eighth's sister which was after married to the duke of suffolk charles brandon and being within it was in manner of a gallery yet notwithstanding it was very necessary in this house my lord remained eight or ten days to whom resorted daily divers of the council of france feasting them and other noblemen and gentlemen that accompanied the council both at dinners and suppers then when the time came that he should depart from thence he rode to a castle beyond the waters of somme called bikini castle adjoining unto the said water standing upon a great rock or hill within the which was a goodly college of priests the situation whereof was most like unto the castle of windsor in england and there he was received with a solemn procession conveying him first into the church and after unto his lodging within the castle at this castle king edward the fourth met with the french king upon the bridge that goeth over the water of somme as ye may read in the chronicles of england when my lord was settled within his lodging it was reported unto me that the french king should come that day into amiens which was within six english miles of piquigny castle and being desirous to see his first coming into the town axed silence and took with me one or two gentlemen of my lords and rode incontinent thither as well to provide me of a necessary lodging as to see the king and when we came thither being but strangers took up our inn for the time at the sign of the angel directly against the west door of the cathedral church de notre dame st marie and after we had dined there and tarrying until three or four of clock expecting the king's coming in came madame regent the king's mother riding in a very rich chariot and in the same with her was her daughter the queen of navarre furnished with an hundred ladies and gentlewomen or more following riding upon white palfreys over and besides divers other ladies and gentlewomen that rode some in rich chariots and some in horse litters who lighted at the west door with all this train accompanied with many other noblemen and gentlemen besides her guard which was not small in number then within two hours after the king came into the town with a great shot of guns and divers pageants made for the nonce at the king's bienvenue having about his person both before him and behind him besides the wonderful number of noblemen and gentlemen three great guards diversely apparelled the first was of switzers and bourgognons with guns and half hacks 
the second was of frenchmen some with bows and arrows and some with bills the third guard was pour le corps which was of tall scots much more comelier persons than all the rest the french guard and the scots had all one livery which wear rich coats of fine white cloth with a guard of silver bullions embroidered an handful broad the king came riding upon a goodly gennet and lighted at the west door of the said church and so conveyed into the church up to the high altar where he made his prayers upon his knees and then conveyed into the bishop's palace where he was lodged and also his mother the next morning i rode again to piquigny to attend upon my lord at which time my lord was ready to take his mule towards amiens and passing on his journey thitherward he was encountered from place to place with divers noble and worthy personages making to him divers orations in latin to whom he made answer again extempore at whose excellent learning and pregnant wit they wondered very much then was word brought my lord that the king was coming to encounter him with that he having none other shift was compelled to alight in an old chapel that stood by the highway and there newly apparelled him into more richer apparel and then mounted upon a new mule very richly trapped with a footcloth and trapper of crimson velvet upon velvet pearled with gold and fringed about with a deep fringe of gold very costly his stirrups of silver and gilt the bosses and cheeks of his bridle of the same and by that time that he was mounted again after this most gorgeous sort the king was come very near within less than a quarter of a mile english mustering upon a hillside his guard standing in array along the same expecting my lord's coming to whom my lord made as much haste as conveniently it became him until he came within a pair of butt-lengths and there he stayed a while the king perceiving that stood still and having two worthy gentlemen young and lusty with him being both brethren and brethren to the duke of lorraine and to the cardinal of lorraine whereof one of them was called monsieur de guise and the other monsieur vaudemont they were both apparelled like the king in purple velvet lined with cloth of silver and their coats cut the king caused monsieur vaudemont to issue from him and to ride unto my lord to know the cause of his tracting who rode upon a fair courser taking his pace in a full gallop even until he came unto my lord and there caused his horse to come aloft once or twice so nigh my lord's mule that he was in doubt of his horse and with that he lighted from his courser and doing his message to my lord with humble reverence which done he mounted again and caused his horse to do the same at his departing as he did before and so repaired again to the king and after his answer made the king advanced forward that seeing my lord did the like and in the midway they met embracing each other on horseback with most amiable countenance entertaining each other right nobly then drew into the place all noblemen and gentlemen on both sides with wonderful cheer made one to another as they had been of an old acquaintance the press was such and so thick that divers had their legs hurt with horses then the king's officers cried march march devant allez devant 
and the king and my lord cardinal on his right hand rode together to amiens every english gentleman accompanied with another of france the train of french and english endured two long miles that is to say from the place of their encounter unto amiens where they were very nobly received with shot of guns and costly pageants until the king had brought my lord unto his lodging and there departed asunder for that night the king being lodged in the bishop's palace the next day after dinner my lord with a great train of noblemen and gentlemen of england rode unto the king's court at which time the king kept his bed being somewhat diseased yet notwithstanding my lord came into his bedchamber where sat on the one side of his bed his mother madame regent and on the other side the cardinal of lorraine with divers other noblemen of france and after a short communication and drinking of a cup of wine with the king's mother my lord departed again to his lodging accompanied with divers gentlemen and noblemen of france who supped with him thus continued the king and my lord in amiens the space of two weeks and more consulting and feasting each other diverse times and in the feast of the assumption of our lady my lord rose betimes and went to the cathedral church de notre dame and there before my lady regent and the queen of navarre in our lady chapel he said his service and mass and after mass he himself ministered the sacrament unto my lady regent and to the queen of navarre and that done the king resorted unto the church and was conveyed into a rich traverse at the high altar's end and directly against him on the other side of the altar sat my lord cardinal in another rich traverse three gresses higher than the king's and at the altar before them both a bishop sang high mass and at the fraction of the host the same bishop divided the sacrament between the king and the cardinal for the performance of the peace concluded between them which mass was sung solemnly by the king's chapel having among them cornets and sackbuts and after mass was done the trumpeters blew in the rue de loft until the king was passed inward to his lodging out of the church and at his coming into the bishop's palace where he intended to dine with my lord cardinal there sat within a cloister about two hundred persons diseased with the king's evil upon their knees and the king or ever he went to dinner provised every of them with rubbing and blessing them with his bare hands being bareheaded all the while after whom followed his almoner distributing of money unto the persons diseased and that done he said certain prayers over them and then washed his hands and so came up into his chamber to dinner where as my lord dined with him then it was determined that the king and my lord should remove out of ambiance and so they did to a town or city called compagne which was more than twenty english miles from thence unto which town i was sent to prepare my lord's lodging and as i rode on my journey being upon a friday my horse chanced to cast a shoe in a little village where stood a fair castle and as it chanced there dwelt a smith to whom i commanded my servant to carry my horse to shoe and standing by him while my horse was a-shoeing there came to me one of the servants of the castle perceiving me to be the cardinal's servant and an englishman who required me to go with him into the castle to my lord his master whom he thought would be very glad of my coming and company 
to whose request I granted, because that I was always desirous to see and be acquainted with strangers, in especial with men in honor and authority, so I went with him, who conducted me unto the castle, and being entered in the first ward, the watchmen of that ward, being very honest, tall men, came and saluted me most reverently, and knowing the cause of my coming, desired me to stay a little while until they had advertised my lord their master of my being there, and so I did, and incontinent the lord of the castle came out to me, who was called Monsieur Crequy, a nobleman born, and very nigh of blood to King Louis, the last king that reigned before this King Francis, and at his first coming he embraced me, saying that I was right heartily welcome, and thanked me that I so gently would visit him and his castle, saying furthermore that he was preparing to encounter the king and my lord, to desire them most humbly the next day to take his castle in their way, if he could so entreat them. And true it is that he was ready to ride in a coat of velvet with a pair of velvet arming shoes on his feet, and a pair of gilt spurs on his heels. Then he took me by the hand, and most gently led me into his castle through another ward. And being once entered into the base court of the castle, I saw all his family and household servants standing in goodly order, in black coats and gowns, like mourners, who led me into the hall, which was hanged with handguns as thick as one could hang by another upon the walls and in the hall stood a hawk's perch, whereupon stood three or four fair goshawks. Then went we into the parlor, which was hanged with fine old arras, and being there but a while, communing together of my lord of Suffolk, how he was there to have besieged the same, his servants brought to him bread and wine of diverse sorts, whereof he caused me to drink. And after, quoth he, I will show you the strength of my house, how hard it would have been for my lord of Suffolk to have won it. Then led he me upon the walls, which was very strong, more than fifteen foot thick, and well garnished with battery pieces of ordnance ready charged to shoot off against the king and my lord's coming. When he had showed me all the walls and bulwarks about the castle, he descended from the walls, and came down into a fair inner court, where his genet stood for to mount upon, with twelve other genets, the most fairest beasts that ever I saw, and in especial his own, which was a mare genet. He showed me that he might have had for her four hundred crowns, but upon the other twelve genets were mounted twelve goodly young gentlemen called pages of honor, all bareheaded in coats of cloth of gold and black velvet cloaks, and on their legs boots of red Spanish leather, and spurs parcel-gilt. Then he took his leave of me, commanding his steward and other his gentlemen to attend upon me, and conduct me unto my lady his wife to dinner, and that done he mounted upon his canet, and took his journey forth out of his castle. And then the steward, with the rest of the gentlemen, led me up into a tower in the gatehouse, where then my lady their mistress lay, for the time that the king and my lord should tarry there. I being in a fair great dining-chamber, where the table was covered to dinner, and there I attending my lady's coming. And after she came thither out of her own chamber, 
she received me most gently like a noble estate having a train of twelve gentlewomen and when she with her train came all out she said to me forasmuch quoth she as ye be an englishman whose custom is in your country to kiss all ladies and gentlewomen without offence and although it be not so here in this realm yet will i be so bold to kiss you and so shall all my maidens by means whereof i kissed my lady and all her women then went she to her dinner being as nobly served as i have seen any of her estate here in england having all the dinner-time with me pleasant communication which was of the usage and behavior of our gentlewomen and gentlemen of england and commended much the behavior of them right excellently for she was with the king at adre when the great encounter and meeting was between the french king and the king our sovereign lord at which time she was both for her person and goodly behavior appointed to company with the ladies of england and to be short after dinner pausing a little i took my leave of her and so departed and rode on my journey i passed so forth on my journey by reason of my tracting of my time in chastel de crequy that i was constrained that night to lie in a town by the way called montdidier the suburbs whereof my lord of suffolk had lately burned and in the next morning i took my journey and came to compigne upon the saturday then being there the chief market-day and at my first coming i took mine in in the midst of the market-place and being there set at dinner in a fair chamber that had a fair window looking into the street i heard a great rumor and clattering of bills with that i looked out into the street and there i espied where the officers of the town brought a prisoner to execution whose head they strake off with a sword and when i demanded the cause of his offence it was answered me that it was for killing a red deer in the forest thereby the punishment whereof is but death incontinent they had set up the poor man's head upon a pole in the market-place between the stag's horns and his quarters in four parts of the forest then went i about to prepare my lord's lodging and to see it furnished which was there in a great castle of the town whereof to my lord was assigned the one half and the other half was reserved for the king and in likewise there was a long gallery divided between them wherein was made in the midst thereof a strong wall with a door and window and there the king and my lord would many times meet at the same window and secretly talk together and divers times they would go the one to the other at the said door now was there lodged also madame regent the king's mother and all her train of ladies and gentlewomen unto which place the chancellor of france came a very witty man with all the king's grave counsellors who took great pains daily in consultation insomuch as i heard my lord cardinal fall out with the chancellor laying unto his charge that he went about to hinder the league which my said lord cardinal had before his coming concluded between the king our sovereign lord and the french king his master insomuch that my lord stomached the matter very stoutly and told him 
that it should not lie in his power to dissolve the amiable fidelity between them and if his master the king being there present forsook his promise and followed his counsel he should not fail after his return into england to feel the smart and what a thing it is to break promise with the king of england whereof he should be well assured and therewithal he arose and went into his own lodging wonderfully offended so that his stout countenance and bold words made them all in doubt how to pacify his displeasure and revoke him again to the council who was then departed in a fury there was sending there was coming there was also entreating and there was great submission made to him to reduce him to his former friendly communication who would in no wise relent until madame regent came herself who handled the matter so discreetly and wittily that she reconciled him to his former communication and by that means he brought other matters to pass that before he could not attain nor cause the council to grant which was more for fear than for any affection to the matter he had the heads of all the council so under his girdle that he might rule them all there as well as he might the council of england end of section nine section ten of the life and death of cardinal wolsey this librivox recording is in the public domain read by john greenman part ten the next morning after this conflict he rose early about four of the clock sitting down to write letters into england unto the king commanding one of his chaplains to prepare him to mass insomuch that his said chaplain stood revested until four of the clock at afternoon all of which season my lord never rose once to piss nor yet to eat any meat but continually wrote his letters with his own hands having all that time his nightcap and keverchief on his head and about four of the clock at afternoon he made an end of writing commanding one christopher gunner the king's servant to prepare him without delay to ride and post into england with his letters whom he dispatched away or ever he drank and that done he went to mass and said his other divine service with his chaplain as he was accustomed to do and then went straight into a garden and after he had walked the space of an hour or more and there said his evensong he went to dinner and supper all at once and making a small repast he went to his bed to take his rest for that night the next night following he caused a great supper to be provided for madame regent and the queen of navarre and other great estates of ladies and noble women there was also madame rene one of the daughters of king louis whose sister king francis had married lately dead these sisters were by their mother inheritresses of the duchy of brittany and for as much as the king had married one of the sisters by whom he had the moiety of the said duchy and to attain the other moiety and so to be lord of the whole he kept the said lady rene without marriage intending that she having none issue the whole duchy might descend to him or to his succession after her death for want of issue of her body but now let us return again to the supper or rather a solemn banquet where all these noble persons were highly feasted 
and in the midst of their triumph the French king with the king of Navarre came suddenly in upon them unknown who took their places at the nether end of the table. There was not only plenty of fine meats, but also much mirth and solace, as well in communication as in instruments of music set forth with my lord's minstrels, who played there so cunningly and dulce all that night, that the king took therein great pleasure, insomuch that he desired my lord to lend them unto him the next night. And after supper, and banquet finished, the ladies and gentlewomen went to dancing, among whom one Madame Fontaine, a maid, had the prize, and thus passed they the night in pleasant mirth and joy. The next day the king took my lord's minstrels and rode unto a nobleman's house, where was some goodly image that he had avowed a pilgrimage unto to perform his devotion. When he came there he danced, and others with him, the most part of that night. My lord's minstrels played there so excellently all that night that the shalm, whether it were with extreme labor of blowing or with poisoning, as some judged, because they were more commended and accepted with the king than his own, I cannot tell. But he that played upon the shalm, an excellent man in that art, died within a day or twain after. Then the king returned again unto Compagne, and caused a wild boar to be lodged for him in the forest there, whither my lord rode with the king to the hunting of the wild swine within a toil, where the lady regent stood in chariots or wagons, looking over the toil, on the outside thereof, accompanied with many ladies and damsel, among whom my lord stood by the lady regent to regard and behold the pastime and manner of hunting. There was within the toil divers goodly gentlemen with the king, ready garnished to this high enterprise and dangerous hunting of the perilous wild swine. The king being in his doublet and hosen only, without any other garments, all of sheep's color cloth, his hosen, from the knee upward, was altogether thrummed with silk very thick of the same color, having in a slip a fair brace of great white greyhounds, armed, as the manner is to arm their greyhounds, from the violence of the boar's tusks. And all the rest of the king's gentlemen, being appointed to hunt this boar, were likewise in their doublets and hosen, holding each of them in their hands a very sharp boar's spear. The king, being thus furnished, commanded the hunts to uncouch the boar, and that every other person should go to a standing, among whom were divers gentlemen and yeomen of England, and incontinent the boar issued out of his den, chased with an hound into the plain, and being there stalled a while, gazing upon the people, and incontinent being forced by the hound, he spied a little bush standing upon a bank over a ditch, under the which lay two lusty gentlemen of France, and thither fled the boar, to defend him, thrusting his head snuffing into the same bush where these two gentlemen lay, who fled with such speed as men do from the danger of death. Then was the boar, by violence and pursuit of the hounds and the hunts, driven from thence, and ran straight to one of my lord's footmen, a very comely person, and an hardy, who held in his hand an English javelin, with the which he was fain to defend himself from the fierce assault of the boar, who foined at him continually with his great tusks, 
whereby he was compelled at the last to pitch his javelin into the ground between him and the boar, the which the boar brake with his force of foining, and with that the yeoman drew his sword and stood at defense, and with that the hunts came to the rescue and put him once again to flight. With that he fled and ran to another young gentleman of England called Master Ratcliffe, son and heir to the Lord Fitzwalter, and after Earl of Sussex, who by chance had borrowed of a French gentleman a fine boar spear, very sharp, upon whom the boar, being sore chafed, began to assault very eagerly, and the young gentleman deliberately avoided his strokes, and in turning about he struck the boar with violence, with the same spear that he had borrowed, upon the house, that he cut the sinews of both his legs at one stroke, and that the boar was constrained to sit down upon his haunches and defend himself, for he could go no more. This gentleman, perceiving then his most advantage, thrust his spear into the boar under the shoulder up to the heart, and thus he slew the great boar. Wherefore, among the noblemen of France, it was reputed to be one of the noblest enterprises that a man might do, as though he had slain a man of arms. And thus our master Ratcliffe bare then away the prize of that feat of hunting, this dangerous and royal pastime, in killing of the wild boar, whose tusks the Frenchman doth most commonly doubt above all other dangers, as it seemed to us Englishmen then being present. End of section 10. Section 11 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by John Greenman. Part 11. In this time of my lord's being in France, over and besides his noble entertainment with the king and nobles, he sustained diverse displeasures of the French slaves that devised a certain book, which was set forth in diverse articles upon the causes of my lord's being there, which should be, as they surmised, that my lord was come thither to conclude two marriages, the one between the king, our sovereign lord, and Madame René, of whom I spake heretofore, and the other between the princess then of England, now being queen of this realm, my lady Mary, the king's daughter, and the French king's second son, the Duke of Orléans, who is at this present king of France, with divers other conclusions and agreements touching the same. Of this book many were imprinted and conveyed into England unknown to my lord, being then in France, to the great slander of the realm of England and of my lord cardinal but whether they were devised of policy to pacify the mutterings of the people which had divers communications and imaginations of my lord's being there or whether it were devised of some malicious person as the disposition of the common people are accustomed to do upon such secret consultations i know not but whatsoever the occasion or cause was the author had set forth such books, this I am well assured, that after my lord was thereof well advertised, and had perused one of the same books, he was not a little offended, and assembled all the privy council of France together, to whom he spake his mind thus, 
saying that it was not only a suspicion in them, but also a great rebuke and a defamation to the king's honor to see and know any such seditious untruths openly divulged and set forth by any malicious and subtle traitor of this realm, saying furthermore that if the like had been attempted within the realm of England, he doubted not but to see it punished according to the traitorous demeanor and deserts, notwithstanding I saw but small redress. So this was one of the displeasures that the Frenchmen showed him, for all his pains and travail, that he took for qualifying for their king's ransom. Also another displeasure was this. There was no place where he was lodged after he entered the territory of France, but that he was robbed in his privy-chamber, either of one thing or other, and at Compiègne he lost his standish of silver and gilt, and there it was espied and the party taken, which was but a little boy of twelve or thirteen years of age, a ruffian's page of Paris, which haunted my lord's lodging without any suspicion until he was taken lying under my lord's privy stairs, upon which occasion he was apprehended and examined, and incontinent confessed all things that was missed, which he stole, and he brought to his master the ruffian, who received the same, and procured him so to do. After the spiel of this boy, my lord revealed the same unto the council, by means whereof the ruffian was apprehended, and set on the pillory, in the midst of the market-place, a goodly recompense for such an heinous offence. Also another displeasure was some lewd person, whosoever it was, had engraved in the great chamber window where my lord lay, upon the leaning stone there, a cardinal's hat, with a pair of gallows over it, in derision of my lord, with divers other unkind demeanors, the which I leave here to write they may be matters so slanderous. Thus passing divers days in consultation, expecting the return of Christopher Gunner, which was sent into England with letters unto the king, as it is rehearsed heretofore, by M. Post, who at last returned again with the letters, upon receipt whereof my lord made haste to return into England. In the morning that my lord should depart and remove, being then at mass in his closet, he consecrated the Chancellor of France a cardinal, and put upon him the habit due to that order, and then took his journey into Englandward, making such necessary expedition that he came to Guignes, where he was nobly received of my lord Sands, captain there, with all the retinue thereof. And from thence he rode to Calais, where he tarried the shipping of his stuff, horses, and train, and in the meantime he established there a mart to be kept for all nations, but how long it endured and in what sort it was used I know not, for I never heard of any great good that it did, or of any worthy assembly there of merchants or merchandise that was brought thither for the furniture of so weighty a matter. End of section 11 Section 12 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. These things finished, and others for the wheel of the town, 
he took shipping and arrived at dover from whence he rode to the king being then in his progress at sir harry wyatt's house in kent supposed among us his servants that he should be joyfully received at his home-coming as well of the king as of all other noblemen but we were deceived in our expectation notwithstanding he went immediately after his coming to the king with whom he had long talk and continued there in the courts two or three days and then returned to his house at westminster where he remained until michaelmas term which was within a fortnight after and using his room of chancellorship as he was wont to do at which time he caused an assembly to be made in the star-chamber of all the noblemen judges and justices of the peace of every shire that was at that present in westminster hall and there made to them a long oration declaring unto them the cause of his embassy into france and of his proceedings there among the which he said that he had concluded such an amity and friendship as never was heard of in this realm in our time before as well between the emperor and us as between the french king and our sovereign lord concluding a perpetual peace which shall be confirmed in writing alternately sealed with the broad seals of both of the realms graved in fine gold affirming furthermore that the king should receive yearly his tribute by that name for the duchy of normandy with all other costs which he hath sustained in the wars and where there was a restraint made in france of the french queen's dower whom the duke of suffolk had married for divers years during the wars it is fully concluded that she shall not only receive the same yearly again but also the arrearages being unpaid during the restraint all which things shall be perfected at the coming of the great embassy out of france in the which shall be a great number of noblemen and gentlemen for the conclusion of the same as hath not been seen repair hither out of one realm in an embassy this peace thus concluded there shall be such an amity between gentlemen of each realm and intercourse of merchants with merchandise that it shall seem to all men the territories to be but one monarchy gentlemen may travel quietly from one country to another for their recreation and pastime and merchants being arrived in each country shall be assured to travel about their affairs in peace and tranquillity so that this realm shall joy and prosper for ever wherefore it shall be well done for all true englishmen to advance and set forth this perpetual peace both in countenance and gesture with such entertainment as it may be a just occasion unto the frenchmen to accept the same in good part and also to use you with the semblable and make of the same a noble report in their countries now good my lords and gentlemen i most entirely require you in the king's behalf that ye will show yourselves herein very loving and obedient subjects wherein the king will much rejoice at your towardness and give to every man his princely thanks for such liberality and gentleness 
as ye or any of you shall minister unto them and here he ended his persuasion and so departed into the dining-chamber and dined among the lords of the council this great embassy long looked for was now come over which were in number above fourscore persons of the most noblest and worthiest gentlemen in all the court of france who were right honorably received from place to place after their arrival and so conveyed through london unto the bishop's palace in paul's churchyard where they were lodged to whom divers noblemen resorted and gave them divers goodly presents and in especial the mayor and city of london as wine sugar wax capons wild fowl beefs muttons and other necessaries in great abundance for the expenses of their house then the next sunday after their resort to london they repaired to the court at greenwich and there by the king's majesty most highly received and entertained they had a special commission to create and stall the king's majesty in the royal order of france for which purposely they brought with them a collar of fine gold of the order with a michael hanging thereat and robes to the same appurtenant the which was wondrous costly and comely of purple velvet richly embroidered i saw the king in all this apparel and habit passing through the chamber of presence unto his closet and offered in the same habit at mass beneath in the chapel and to gratify the french king with like honor he sent incontinent unto him the like order of england by a nobleman the earl of wiltshire purposely for that intent to create him one of the same order of england accompanied with garter the herald with all robes garter and other habiliments to the same belonging as costly in every degree as the other was of the french kings the which was done before the return of the great embassy and for the performance of this noble and perpetual peace it was concluded and determined that a solemn mass should be sung in the cathedral church of paul's by the cardinal against which time there was prepared a gallery made from the west door of the church of paul's unto the choir door railed on every side upon the which stood vessels full of perfumes burning then the king and my lord cardinal and all the frenchmen with all other noblemen and gentlemen were conveyed upon this gallery unto the high altar into their travers then my lord cardinal prepared himself to mass associated with twenty-four mitres of bishops and abbots attending upon him and to serve him in such ceremonies as to him by virtue of his legatine prerogative was due and after the last agnus the king rose out of his travers and kneeled upon a cushion and carpet at the high altar and the grand master of france the chief ambassador that represented the king his master kneeled by the king's majesty between whom my lord divided the sacrament as a firm oath and assurance of this perpetual peace that done the king resorted again unto his travers and the grand master in likewise to his this mass finished which was sung with the king's chapel and choir of paul's 
my lord cardinal took the instrument of this perpetual peace and amity and read the same openly before the king and the assembly both of english and french to the which the king subscribed with his own hand and the grand master for the french king in likewise the which was sealed with the seals of fine gold engraven and delivered to each other as their firm deeds and all this done and finished they departed the king rode home to the cardinal's house at westminster to dinner with whom dined all the frenchmen passing all day after in consultation in weighty matters touching the conclusion of this peace and amity that done the king went again by water to greenwich at whose departing it was determined by the king's device that the french gentlemen should resort unto richmond to hunt there in every of the parks and from thence to hampton court and therein likewise to hunt and there my lord cardinal to make for them a supper and lodge them there that night and from thence they should ride to windsor and there to hunt and after their return to london they should resort to the court whereas the king would banquet them and this perfectly determined the king and the frenchmen departed then there was no more to do but to make provision at hampton court for this assembly against the day appointed my lord called for the principal officers of his house as his steward comptroller and the clerks of his kitchen whom he commanded to prepare for this banquet at hampton court and neither to spare for expenses or travail to make them such triumphant cheer as they may not only wonder at it here but also make a glorious report in their country to the king's honor and of this realm his pleasure once known to accomplish his commandment they sent forth all their caterers purveyors and other persons to prepare the finest viands that they could get either for money or friendship among my lord's friends also they sent for all the expertest cooks besides my lord's that they could get in all england where they might be gotten to serve to garnish this feast the purveyors brought and sent in such plenty of costly provision as ye would wonder at the same the cooks wrought both night and day in divers subtleties and many crafty devices where lacked neither gold silver nor any other costly thing meet for the purpose the yeomen and grooms of the wardrobes were busied in hanging of the chambers with costly hangings and furnishing the same with beds of silk and other furniture apt for the same in every degree then my lord cardinal sent me being gentleman usher with two other of my fellows to hampton court to foresee all things touching our rooms to be nobly garnished accordingly our pains were not small or light but travailing daily from chamber to chamber then the carpenters the joiners the masons the painters and all other artificers necessary to glorify the house and feast were set at work there was carriage and recarriage of plate stuff and other rich implements so that there was nothing lacking or to be imagined or devised for the purpose there were also fourteen score beds provided and furnished with all manner of furniture to them belonging too long particularly here to rehearse but to all wise men it sufficeth to imagine that 
knoweth what belongeth to the furniture of such triumphant feast or banquet. The day was come that to the Frenchmen was assigned, and they ready assembled at Hampton Court, something before the hour of their appointment. Wherefore the officers caused them to ride to Hanworth, a place and park of the king's, within two or three miles, there to hunt and spend the time until night, at which time they returned again to Hampton Court, and every of them conveyed to his chamber severally, having in them great fires and wine ready to refresh them, remaining there until their supper was ready, and the chambers where they should sup were ordered in due form. The first waiting-chamber was hanged with fine arras, and so was all the rest, one better than another, furnished with tall yeomen. There was set tables round about the chamber, banquet-wise, all covered with fine cloths of diaper, a cupboard with plate, parcel gilt, having also in the same chamber, to give the more light, four plates of silver, set with lights upon them, a great fire in the chimney. The next chamber, being the chamber of presence, hanged with very rich arras, wherein was a gorgeous and precious cloth of estate hanged up, replenished with many goodly gentlemen ready to serve. The boards were set as the other boards were in the other chamber before, save that the high table was set and removed beneath the cloth of estate, towards the midst of the chamber, covered with fine linen cloths of damask work, sweetly perfumed. There was a cupboard made for the time in length of the breadth of the nether end of the same chamber of six desks high, full of gilt plate, very sumptuous, and of the most newest fashions, and upon the nethermost desk garnished all with plate of clean gold, having two great candlesticks of silver and gilt most curiously wrought, and the workmanship whereof with the silver cost three hundred marks and lights of wax as big as torches burning upon the same. This cupboard was barred and round about that no man might come nigh it, for there was none of the same plate occupied or stirred during this feast, for there was sufficient besides. The plates that hung on the walls to give light in the chamber were of silver and gilt, with lights burning in them, a great fire in the chimney, and all other things necessary for the furniture of so noble a feast. Now was all things in a readiness and supper-time at hand. My lord's officers caused the trumpets to blow to warn to supper, and the said officers went right discreetly in due order, and conducted these noble personages from their chambers unto the chamber of presence, where they should sup. And they, being there, caused them to sit down, their service was brought up in such order and abundance, both costly and full of subtleties, with such a pleasant noise of diverse instruments of music, that the Frenchmen, as it seemed, were wrapped into an heavenly paradise. Ye must understand that my lord was not there, nor yet come, but they being merry and pleasant with their fare, devising and wondering upon the subtleties before the second course, my lord cardinal came in among them, booted and spurred all suddenly, and bade them profess, at whose coming they would have risen and given place with much joy, whom my lord commanded to sit still and keep their rooms, and straightway 
being not shifted of his riding apparel, called for a chair, and sat himself down in the midst of the table, laughing and being as merry as ever I saw him in all my life. Anon came up the second course, with so many dishes, subtleties, and curious devices, which were above a hundred in number, of so goodly proportion and costly, that I suppose the Frenchmen never saw the like. The wonder was no less than it was worthy indeed. There were castles with images in the same, Paul's church and steeple, in proportion for the quantity as well counterfeited as the painter should have painted it upon a cloth or wall. There were beasts, birds, fowls of diverse kinds, and personages, most lively made and counterfeit in dishes, some fighting, as it were, with swords, some with guns and crossbows, some vaulting and leaping, some dancing with ladies, some in complete harness, justing with spears, and with many more devices than I am able with my wit to describe. Among all one I noted there was a chessboard, subtly made of spiced plate, with men to the same, and for the good proportion, because that Frenchman be very expert in that play, my lord gave the same to a gentleman of France, commanding that a case should be made for the same in all haste, to preserve it from perishing in the conveyance thereof into his country. Then my lord took a bowl of gold, which was esteemed of the value of five hundred marks, and filled with hippocras, as whereof there was plenty, putting off his cap, said, I drink to the king my sovereign lord and master, and to the king your master, and therewith drank a good draught. And when he had done, he desired the grand master to pledge him cup and all, the which cup he gave him, and so caused all the other lords and gentlemen in other cups to pledge these two royal princes. Then went cups merrily about, that many of the Frenchmen were fain to be led to their beds. Then went my lord, leaving them sitting still into his privy-chamber to shift him, and, making there a very short supper, or rather a small repast, returned again among them into the chamber of presence, using them so nobly, with so loving and familiar countenance and entertainment, that they could not commend him too much and whilst they were in communication and other pastimes, all their liveries were served to their chambers. Every chamber had a basson and a ewer of silver, and some clear gilt, and some parcel gilt, and some two great pots of silver, in like manner, and one pot at the least with wine and beer, a bowl or goblet, and a silver pot to drink beer in a silver candlestick or two with both white lights and yellow lights three sizes of wax and a staff torch a fine manchette and a cheat loaf of bread thus was every chamber furnished throughout the house and yet the two cupboards in the two banqueting chambers not once touched then being past midnight as time served they were conveyed to their lodgings to take their rest for that night in the morning of the next day, not early, they rose and heard mass, and dined with my lord, and so departed towards Windsor, and there hunted, delighting much of the castle and college, and in the order of the garter. They being departed from Hampton Court, 
my lord returned again to Westminster, because it was in the midst of the term. It is not to be doubted but that King was privy of all this worthy feast, and intended far to exceed the same, whom I leave until the return of the Frenchmen, who gave a special commandment to all his officers to devise a far more sumptuous banquet for these strangers otherwise than they had at Hampton Court, which was not neglected, but most speedily put in execution with great diligence. After the return of these strangers from Windsor, which place with the goodly order thereof they much commended, the day approached that they were invited to the court at Greenwich, where first they dined, and after long consultation of the sagest with our counsellors, and dancing of the rest, and other pastimes, the time of supper came on. Then was the banqueting-chamber in the tilt-yard furnished for the entertainment of these strangers, to the which place they were conveyed by the noblest persons being then in the court, where they both supped and banqueted. But to describe the dishes, the subtleties, the many strange devices, and other in the same, I do both lack wit in my gross old head, and cunning in my bowels, to declare the wonderful and curious imaginations in the same invented and devised. Yet this ye shall understand, that although it was at Hampton Court marvellous sumptuous, yet did this banquet far exceed the same as fine gold doth silver in weight and value and for my part i must needs confess which saw them both that i never saw the like or read in any story or chronicle of any such feast in the midst of this banquet there was tourneying at the barriers even in the chamber with lusty gentlemen in gorgeous complete harness on foot then was there the like on horseback and after all this there was the most goodliest disguising or interlude made in latin and french whose apparel was of such exceeding riches that it passeth my capacity to expound this done then came in such a number of fair ladies and gentlewomen that bear any fruit or fame of beauty in all this realm in the most richest apparel and devised in divers goodly fashions that all the cunningest tailors could devise to shape or cut to set forth their beauty gesture and goodly proportion of their bodies who seemed to all men more angelic than earthly made of flesh and bone surely to me simple soul it seemed inestimable to be described and so i think it was to other of a more higher judgment with whom these gentlemen of france danced until another mask came in of noble gentlemen who danced and masked with these fair ladies and gentlewomen every man as his fantasy served him this done and the maskers departed there came in another mask of ladies so gorgeously apparelled in costly garments that i dare not presume to take upon me to make thereof any declaration lest i should rather deface than beautify them therefore i leave it untouched these lady maskers took each of them a french gentleman to dance and mask with them ye shall understand that these lady maskers spake good french which delighted much these gentlemen to hear these ladies speak to them in their own tongue thus was this night occupied and consumed from five of the clock until 
two or three after midnight, at which time it was convenient for all estates to draw to their rest, and thus every man departed whitherto they had most relief, then as nothing, either health, wealth, or pleasure, can always endure, so ended this triumphant banquet, the which in the morning seemed to all the beholders but as a fantastical dream. After all this solemn cheer, at a day appointed, they prepared them to return with bag and baggage. Then, as to the office of all honorable persons doth appertain, they resorted in good order to the court, to take their leave of the king and other noblemen, then being there, to whom the king committed his princely commendations to the king their master, and thanked them of their pains and travel, and after long communication with the most honorable of that embassy, he bade them adieu, who was assigned by the council to repair to my lord cardinal for to receive the king's most noble rewards. Wherefore they repaired to my lord, and taking of their leave, they received every man the king's reward after this sort. Every honorable person in estimation had most commonly plate, to the value of three or four hundred pounds, and some more and some less, besides other great gifts received at the king's hands before, as rich gowns, horses, or goodly geldings of great value and goodness, and some had weighty chains of fine gold, with divers other gifts which I cannot now call to my remembrance, but this I know, that the least of them all had a sum of crowns of gold. The worst page among them had twenty crowns for his part, and thus they, nobly rewarded, departed. And my lord, after humble commendations had to the French king, bade them adieu. And the next day they conveyed all their stuff and furniture unto the seaside, accompanied with lusty young gentlemen of England, but what praise or commendations they made in their country at their return, in good faith, I cannot tell you, for I never heard anything thereof. End of section 12 Section 13 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 13 then began other matters to brew and take place that occupied all men's heads with diverse imaginations, whose stomachs were therewith fulfilled without any perfect digestion. The long hid and secret love between the king and mistress Anne Boleyn began to break out into every man's ears. The matter was then by the king disclosed to my lord cardinal, whose persuasion to the contrary made to the king upon his knees, could not effect. The king was so amorously affectionate that will bare place, and high discretion banished for the time. My lord, provoked by the king to declare his wise opinion in this matter for the furtherance of his desired effect, who thought it not meet for him alone to wade too far, to give his hasty judgment or advice in so weighty a matter, desired of the king license to ask the counsel of men of ancient study and of famous learning, both in the laws divine and civil. That obtained, 
he by his legatine authority sent out his commission unto all the bishops of this realm and for other that were either exactly learned in any of the said laws or else had in any estimation for their prudent counsel and judgment in princely affairs of long experience then assembled these prelates before my lord cardinal at his place in westminster with many other famous and notable clerks of both the universities oxford and cambridge and also divers out of colleges and cathedral churches of this realm renowned and allowed learned and of witty discretion in the determination of doubtful questions then was the matter of the king's case debated reasoned and argued consulting from day to day and time to time that it was to men learned a goodly hearing but in conclusion it seemed to me by the departing of the ancient fathers of the laws that they departed with one judgment contrary to the expectation of the principal parties i heard the opinion of some of the most famous persons among that sort report that the king's case was so obscure and doubtful for any learned man to discuss the points therein were so dark to be credited that it was very hard to have any true understanding or intelligence and therefore they departed without any resolution or judgment then in this assembly of bishops it was thought most expedient that the king should first send out his commissioners into all the universities of christendom as well here in england as in foreign countries and regions to have among them his grace's case argued substantially and to bring with them from thence the very definition of their opinions in the same under the seals of every several university this was their determination for this time and thereupon agreed that commissioners were incontinent appointed and sent forth about this matter into several universities as some to oxford some to cambridge some to louvain some to paris some to orleans some to bologna and some to padua and some to other although these commissioners had the travail yet was the charges the king's the which was no small sums of money and all went out of the king's coffers into foreign regions for as i heard it reported of credible persons and it seemed indeed that besides the great charges of the commissioners there was inestimable sums of money given to the famous clerks to choke them and in especial to such as had the governance and custody of their university seals insomuch as they agreed not only in opinions but also obtained of them the university seals the which attained they returned home again furnished for their purpose at whose return there was no small joy made of the principal parties insomuch as the commissioners were not only ever after in great estimation but also most liberally advanced and rewarded far beyond their worthy deserts notwithstanding they prospered and the matter went still forward having then as they thought a sure foundation to ground them upon these proceedings being once declared to my lord cardinal he sent again for all the bishops whom he had made privy of the expedition of the commissioners and for the very proof thereof he showed them the opinions of the several universities in writing under the university seals these matters being thus brought to pass 
they went again to consultation how these matters should be ordered to the purpose it was then thought good and concluded by the advice of them all that the king should to avoid all ambiguities send unto the pope a legation with the instruments declaring the opinions of the universities under their seals to the which it was thought good that all these prelates in this assembly should join with the king in this legation making intercession and suit to the pope for advice and judgment in this great and weighty matter and if the pope would not directly consent to the same request that then the ambassadors should further require of him a commission to be directed under lead to establish a court judicial in england hac vice tantum directed to my lord cardinal and unto the cardinal campeggio who was then bishop of bath although he were a stranger which bishopric the king gave him at such time as he was the pope's ambassador here in england to see hear and determine according to the just judgment of their conscience the which after long and great suit they obtained of the pope his commission this done and achieved they made return into england making report unto the king of their expedition trusting that his grace's pleasure and purpose should now presently be brought to pass considering the estate of the judges who were the cardinals of england and campeggio being both his highness's subjects in effect long was the desire and greater was the hope on all sides expecting the coming of the legation and commission from rome yet at length it came and after the arrival of the legate campeggio with this solemn commission in england he being sore vexed with the gout was constrained by force thereof to make a long journey or ever he came to london who should have been most solemnly received at blackheath and so with great triumph conveyed to london but his glory was such that he would in no wise be entertained with any such pomp or vainglory who suddenly came by water in a weary to his own house without temple bar called then bath place which was furnished for him with all manner of stuff and implements of my lord's provision where he continued and lodged during his abode here in england then after some deliberation his commission understood read and perceived it was by the council determined that the king and the queen his wife should be lodged at bridewell and that in the black friars a certain place should be appointed whereas the king and the queen might most conveniently repair to the court there to be erected and kept for the disputation and determination of the king's case whereas these two legates sat in judgment as notable judges before whom the king and the queen were duly cited and summoned to appear which was the strangest and newest sight and device that ever was read or heard in any history or chronicle in any region that a king and a queen to be convented and constrained by process compellatory to appear in any court as common persons within their own realm or dominion to abide the judgment and decrees of their own subjects having the diadem and prerogative thereof is it not a world to consider the desire of wilful princes 
when they fully be bent and inclined to fulfill their voluptuous appetites against the which no reasonable persuasion will suffice little or nothing weighing or regarding the dangerous sequel that both ensue as well to themselves as to their realms and subjects and above all things there is no one thing that causeth them to be more willful than carnal desire and voluptuous affection of foolish love the experience is plain in this case both manifest and evident for what surmised inventions have been invented what laws have been enacted what noble and ancient monasteries overthrown and defaced what diversities of religious opinions have risen what executions have been committed how many famous and notable clerks have suffered death what charitable foundations were perverted from the relief of the poor unto profane uses and what alterations of good and wholesome ancient laws and customs hath been forced by will and wilful desire of the prince almost to the subversion and dissolution of this noble realm all men may understand what hath chanced to this region the proof thereof hath taught all us englishmen a common experience the more is the pity and to all good men very lamentable to be considered if eyes be not blind men may see if ears be not stopped they may hear and if pity be not exiled they may lament the sequel of this pernicious and inordinate cardinal love the plague whereof is not ceased although this love lasted but a while which our lord quench and take from us his indignation quia peccavimus cum patribus nostris et injuste egimus etc end of section thirteen section fourteen of the life and death of cardinal wolsey this librivox recording is in the public domain read by john greenman part fourteen ye shall understand as i said before that there was a court erected in the black friars in london where these two cardinals sat for judges now will i set you out the manner and order of the court there first there was a court placed with tables benches and bars like a consistory a place judicial for the judges to sit on there was also a cloth of estate under which sat the king and the queen sat some distance beneath the king under the judge's feet sat the officers of the court the chief scribe there was dr stevens which was after bishop of winchester the apparitor was one cook most commonly called cook of winchester then sat there within the said court directly before the king and judges the archbishop of canterbury dr warham and all the other bishops then at both the ends with a bar made for them the councils on both sides the doctors for the king was dr sampson which was after bishop of chichester and dr bell which after was bishop of worcester with divers others the proctors on the king's part were dr peter which was after made the king's chief secretary and dr tregonell and divers others 
Now on the other side stood the counsel for the Queen, Dr. Fisher, Bishop of Rochester, and Dr. Standish, sometime a Grey Friar, and then Bishop of St. Asaph in Wales, two notable clerks in divinity, and in especial the Bishop of Rochester, a very godly man and a devout person, who after suffered death at Tower Hill, the which was greatly lamented through all the foreign universities of Christendom. There was also another ancient doctor, called, as I do remember, Dr. Ridley, a very small person in stature, but surely a great and an excellent clerk in divinity. The court being thus furnished and ordered, the judges commanded the crier to command silence. Then was the judges' commission, which they had of the Pope, published and read openly before all the audience there assembled. That done, the crier called the king by the name of King Harry of England, come into the court, etc. With that the king answered and said, Here, my lords. Then he called also the queen by the name of Catherine, Queen of England, come into the court, etc., who made no answer to the same, but rose up incontinent out of her chair, whereas she sat, and, because she could not come directly to the king for the distance which severed them, she took pain to go about unto the king, kneeling down at his feet in the sight of all the court and assembly, to whom she said in effect in broken English as followeth. Sir, quoth she, I beseech you, for all the loves that hath been between us, and for the love of God, let me have justice and right. Take of me some pity and compassion, for I am a poor woman and a stranger born out of your dominion. I have here no assured friend, and much less indifferent counsel. I flee to you as to the head of justice within this realm. Alas, sir, wherein have I offended you? or what occasion of displeasure have i designed against your will and pleasure intending as i perceive to put me from you i take god and all the world to witness that i have been to you a true humble and obedient wife ever comfortable to your will and pleasure that never said or did anything to the contrary thereof being always well pleased and contented with all things wherein ye had any delight or dalliance whether it were in little or much, I never grudged in word or countenance, or showed a visage or spark of discontention. I loved all those whom ye loved only for your sake, whether I had cause or no, and whether they were my friends or my enemies. This twenty years I have been your true wife, or more, and by me ye have had diverse children, although it hath pleased God to call them out of this world, which hath been no default in me, and when ye had me at the first I take God to be my judge, I was a true maid without touch of man, and whether it be true or no, I put it to your conscience. If there be any just cause by the law that ye can allege against me, either of dishonesty or any other impediment to banish and put me from you, I am well content to depart to my great shame and dishonor, and if there be none, then here I most lowly beseech you let me remain in my former estate, and receive justice at your princely hands. 
the king your father was in the time of his reign of such estimation throughout the world for his excellent wisdom that he was accounted and called of all men the second solomon and my father ferdinand king of spain who was esteemed to be one of the wittiest princes that reigned in spain many years before were both wise and excellent kings in wisdom and princely behavior it is not therefore to be doubted but that they elected and gathered as wise counselors about them as to their high discretions was thought meet also as me seemeth there was in those days as wise as well-learned men and men of as good judgment as be at this present in both realms who thought then the marriage between you and me good and lawful therefore is it a wonder to me what new inventions are now invented against me that never intended but honesty and cause me to stand to the order and judgment of this new court wherein ye may do me much wrong if ye intend any cruelty for ye may condemn me for lack of sufficient answer having no indifferent counsel but such as be assigned me with whose wisdom and learning i am not acquainted ye must consider that they cannot be indifferent counsellors for my part which be your subjects and taken out of your own counsel before wherein they be made privy and dare not for your displeasure disobey your will and intent being once made privy thereto therefore i most humbly require you in the way of charity and for the love of god who is the just judge to spare the extremity of this new court until i may be advertised what way and order my friends in spain will advise me to take and if ye will not extend to me so much indifferent favor your pleasure then be fulfilled and to god i commit my case and even with that she rose up making low courtesy to the king and so departed from thence many supposed that she would have resorted again to her former place but she took her direct way out of the house leaning as she was wont always to do upon the arm of her general receiver called master griffith and the king being advertised of her departure commanded the crier to call her again who called her by the name of catherine queen of england come into the court etc with that quoth master griffith madam ye be called again on on quoth she it maketh no matter for it is no indifferent court for me therefore i will not tarry go on your ways and thus she departed out of that court without any farther answer at that time or at any other nor would never appear at any other court after the king perceiving that she was departed in such sort calling to his grace's memory all her lament words that she had pronounced before him and all the audience said thus in effect forasmuch quoth he as the queen is gone i will in her absence declare unto you all my lords here presently assembled she hath been to me as true as obedient and as comfortable a wife as i could in my fantasy wish or desire she hath all the virtuous qualities that ought to be in a woman of her dignity or in any other of baser estate surely she is also a noble woman born if nothing were in her but only her conditions will well declare the same 
With that, quoth my lord cardinal, Sir, I most humbly beseech your highness to declare me before all this audience whether I have been the chief inventor or first mover of this matter unto your majesty, for I am greatly suspected of all men herein. My lord cardinal, quoth the king, I can well excuse you herein. Marry, indeed, ye have been rather against me in attempting or setting forth thereof. And to put you all out of doubt, I will declare unto you the special cause that moved me hereunto. It was a certain scrupulosity that pricked my conscience upon diverse words that were spoken at a certain time by the Bishop of Bayonne, the French king's ambassador, who had been here long upon the debating for the conclusion of a marriage, to be concluded between the princess, our daughter Mary, and the Duke of Orleans, the French king's second son. And upon the resolution and determination thereof, he desired respite to advertise the king his master thereof, whether our daughter Mary should be legitimate in respect of the marriage which was some time between the king here and my brother the late Prince Arthur. These words were so conceived within my scrupulous conscience that it bred a doubtful prick within my breast, which doubt pricked, vexed, and troubled so my mind, and so disquieted me, that I was in great doubt of God's indignation, which, as seemed me, appeared right well, much the rather for he hath not sent me any issue mail, for all such issue mail as I have received of the queen died incontinent after they were born, so that I doubt the punishment of God in that behalf. Thus being troubled in waves of a scrupulous conscience, and partly in despair of any issue male by her, it drave me at last to consider the estate of this realm, and the danger it stood in for lack of issue male to succeed me in this imperial dignity. I thought it good, therefore, in relief of the weighty burden of scrupulous conscience, and the quiet estate of this noble realm, to attempt the law therein, and whether I might take another wife in case that my first copulation with this gentlewoman were not lawful, which I intend not for any carnal concupiscence, nor for any displeasure or mislike of the queen's person or age, with whom I could be as well content to continue during my life, if our marriage may stand with God's law, as with any woman alive. In which point consisteth all this doubt that we go now about to try by the learned wisdom and judgment of you, our prelates and pastors of this realm, here assembled for that purpose, to whose conscience and judgment I have committed the charge according to the which, God willing, we will be right well contented to submit ourselves to obey the same for my part. Wherein after I once perceived my conscience wounded with the doubtful case herein, I moved first this matter in confession to you, my lord of Lincoln, my ghostly father, and, forasmuch as then yourself were in some doubt to give me counsel, moved me to ask farther counsel of all you, my lords, wherein I moved you first, my lord of Canterbury, axing your license, forasmuch as you were our metropolitan, to put this matter in question. And so I did of all you, my lords, to the which 
ye have all granted by writing under all your seals the which i have here to be showed that is truth if it please your highness quoth the bishop of canterbury i doubt not but all my brethren here present will affirm the same no sir not i quoth the bishop of rochester ye have not my consent thereto no Hazza, quoth the king look here upon this is not this your hand and seal and showed him the instrument with seals no forsooth sire quoth the bishop of rochester it is not my hand nor seal to that quoth the king to my lord of canterbury sir how say ye is it not his hand and seal yes sir quoth he that is not so quoth the bishop of rochester for indeed you were in hand with me to have both my hand and seal as other of my lords had already done but then i said to you that i would never consent to no such act for it were much against my conscience nor my hand and seal should never be seen at any such instrument god willing with much more matter touching the same communication between us you say truth quoth the bishop of canterbury such words ye said unto me but at the last ye were fully persuaded that i should for you subscribe your name and put to a seal myself and ye would allow the same all which words and matter quoth the bishop of rochester under your correction my lord and superstition of this noble audience there is no thing more untrue well well quoth the king it shall make no matter we will not stand with you in argument herein for you are but one man and with that the court was adjourned until the next day of their session end of section fourteen section fifteen of the life and death of cardinal wolsey this LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 15 The next court day the cardinals sat there again, at which time the councils on both sides were there present. The king's council alleged the marriage not good from the beginning, because of the carnal knowledge committed between Prince Arthur, her first husband, the king's brother, and her this matter being very sore touched and maintained by the king's council and the contrary defended by such as took upon them to be on that other part with the good queen and to prove the same carnal copulation they alleged many colored reasons and similitudes of truth it was answered again negatively on the other side by which it seemed that all their former allegations to be very doubtful to be tried so that it was said that no man could know the truth yes quoth the bishop of rochester ego nosco veritatem how know you the truth quoth my lord cardinal forsooth my lord quoth he ego sum professor veritatis i know that god is truth itself nor he never spake but truth which said quos deus conjunxit homo non separet and for as much as this marriage was made and joined by god to a good intent i say that i know the truth the which cannot be broken or loosed by the power of man upon no feigned occasion 
so much doth all faithful men know quoth my lord cardinal as well as you yet this reason is not sufficient in this case for the king's counsel doth allege divers presumptions to prove the marriage not good at the beginning ergo they say it was not joined by god at the beginning and therefore it is not lawful for god ordaineth nor joineth nothing without a just order therefore it is not to be doubted but that their presumptions must be true as it plainly appeareth and nothing can be more true in case their allegations cannot be avoided therefore to say that the matrimony was joined of god ye must prove it further than by that text which ye have alleged for your matter for ye must first avoid the presumptions then quoth one dr ridley it is a shame and a great dishonor to these honorable persons that any such presumptions should be alleged in this open court which be to all good and honest men most detestable to be rehearsed what quoth my lord cardinal domine doctor magis reverentere no no my lord quoth he there belongeth no reverence to be given to these abominable presumptions for an unreverent tale would be unreverently answered and there they left and proceeded no farther at that time thus this court passed from session to session and day to day insomuch that a certain day the king sent for my lord at the breaking up one day of the court to come to him into bridewell and to accomplish his commandment he went unto him and being there with him in communication in his grace's privy chamber from eleven unto twelve of the clock and past at noon my lord came out and departed from the king and took his barge at the black friars stairs and so went to his house at westminster the bishop of carlisle being with him in his barge said unto him wiping the sweat from his face sir quoth he it is a very hot day yea quoth my lord cardinal if ye had been as well chafed as i have been within this hour ye would say it were very hot and as soon as he came home to his house at westminster he went incontinent to his naked bed where he had not lain fully the space of two hours but that my lord of wiltshire came to speak with him of a message from the king my lord having understanding of his coming caused him to be brought unto his bedside and he being there showed that the king's pleasure was that he should incontinent accompanied by the other cardinal repair unto the queen at bridewell into her chamber to persuade her by their wisdoms advising her to surrender the whole matter unto the king's hands by her own will and consent which should be much better to her honor than to stand to the trial of the law and to be condemned which should be much to her slander and defamation to fulfill the king's pleasure quoth my lord he was ready and would prepare him to go thither out of hand saying further to my lord of wiltshire ye and other my lords of the council which be near unto the king are not a little to blame and misadvised to put any such fantasies into his head whereby ye are the causers of great trouble to all this realm and at length get you but small thanks either of god or of the world 
with many other vehement words and sentences that was like to ensure of this matter which words caused my lord of wiltshire to water his eyes kneeling all this while by my lord's bedside and in conclusion departed and then my lord rose up and made him ready taking his barge and went straight to bath place to the other cardinal and so went together unto bridewell directly to the queen's lodging and they being in her chamber of presence showed to the gentleman usher that they came to speak with the queen's grace the gentleman usher advertised the queen thereof incontinent with that she came out of her privy chamber with a skein of white thread about her neck into the chamber of presence where the cardinals were giving of attendance upon her coming at whose coming quoth she alack my lords i am sorry to cause you to attend upon me what is your pleasure with me if it please you quoth my lord cardinal to go into your chamber we will show you the cause of our coming my lord quoth she if ye have anything to say speak it openly before all these folks for i fear nothing that ye can say or allege against me but that i would all the world should both hear and see it therefore i pray you speak your mind openly then began my lord to speak to her in latin nay good my lord quoth she speak to me in english i beseech you although i understand latin forsooth then quoth my lord madam if it please your grace we come both to know your mind how ye be disposed to do in this matter between the king and you and also to declare secretly our opinions and our counsel unto you which we have intended of very zeal and obedience that we bear to your grace my lords i thank you then quoth she of your good wills but to make answer to your request i cannot so suddenly for i was set among my maidens at work thinking full little of any such matter wherein there needeth a longer deliberation and a better head than mine to make answer to so noble wise men as ye be i had need of good counsel in this case which toucheth me so near and for any counsel or friendship that i can find in england are nothing to my purpose or profit think you i pray you my lords will any englishmen counsel or be friendly unto me against the king's pleasure they being his subjects nay forsooth my lords and for my counsel in whom i do intend to put my trust be not here they be in spain in my native country alas my lords i am a poor woman lacking both wit and understanding sufficiently to answer such approved wise men as ye both be in so weighty a matter i pray you to extend your good and indifferent minds in your authority unto me for i am a simple woman destitute and barren of friendship and counsel here in a foreign region and as for your counsel i will not refuse but be glad to hear and with that she took my lord by the hand and led him into her privy chamber with the other cardinal where they were in long communication we in the other chamber might sometimes hear the queen speak very loud but what it was we could not understand the communication ended the cardinals departed and went directly to the king making to him relation of their talk with the queen and after resorted home to their houses to supper 
thus went this strange case forward from court day to court day until it came to judgment so that every man expected the judgment to be given upon the next court day at which day the king came hither and sat within a gallery against the door of the same that looked unto the judges where they sat whom he might both see and hear speak to hear what judgment they would give in his suit at which time all their proceedings were first openly read in latin and that done the king's learned counsel at the bar called fast for judgment with that quoth cardinal campeggio i will give no judgment herein until i have made relation unto the pope of all our proceedings whose counsel and commandment in his high case i will observe the case is too high and notable known through all the world for us to give any hasty judgment considering the highness of the persons and the doubtful allegations and also whose commissioners we be under whose authority we sit here it were therefore reason that we should make our chief head a counsel in the same before we proceed into judgment definitive i come not so far to please any man for fear meed or favor be he king or any other potentate i have no such respect to the persons that i will offend my conscience i will not for favor or displeasure of any high estate or mighty prince do that thing that should be against the law of god i am an old man both sick and impotent looking daily for death what should it then avail me to put my soul in the danger of god's displeasure to my utter damnation for the favor of any prince or high estate in this world my coming and being here is only to see justice ministered according to my conscience as i thought thereby the matter either good or bad and for as much as i do understand and having perceivance by the allegations and negations in this matter laid for both the parties that the truth in this case is very doubtful to be known and also that the party defendant will make no answer thereunto but doth rather appeal from us supposing that we be not indifferent considering the king's high dignity and authority within this his own realm which he hath over his own subjects and we being his subjects and having our livings and dignities in the same she thinketh that we cannot minister true and indifferent justice for fear of his displeasure therefore to avoid all these ambiguities and obscure doubts i intend not to damn my soul for no prince or potentate alive i will therefore god willing wade no farther in this matter unless i have the just opinion and judgment with the assent of the pope and such other of his counsel as hath more experience and learning in such doubtful laws than i have wherefore i will adjourn this court for this time according to the order of the court in rome from whence this court and jurisdiction is derived and if we should go further than our commission doth warrant us it were folly in vain and much to our slander and blames and might be for the same accounted breakers of the orders of the higher court from whence we have as i said our original authorities 
With that the court was dissolved, and no more plea holden. End of section 15「Section 16 of The Life and Death of Cardinal Wolsey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain, read by John Greenman. Part 16. With that stepped forth the Duke of Suffolk from the king, and by his commandment spake these words with a stout and whole countenance. It was never, quoth he, merry in England, whilst we had cardinals among us which words were set forth both with such a vehement countenance that all men marveled what he intended, to whom no man made answer. Then the duke spake again in great despite, to the which words my lord cardinal, perceiving his vehemency, soberly made answer, and said, Sir, of all men within this realm ye have least cause to dispraise or be offended with cardinals, for if I, simple cardinal, had not been, you should have had at this present no head upon your shoulders, wherein you should have a tongue to make any such report in despite of us, who intended you no manner of displeasure, nor have we given you any occasion with such despite to be revenged with your hot words. I would ye know it, my lord, that I and my brother here intendeth the king and his realm as much honor, wealth, and quietness as ye or any other, of what estate or degree soever he be within this realm, and would as gladly accomplish his lawful desire as the poorest subject he hath. But, my lord, I pray you, show me what would ye do if ye were the king's commissioner in a foreign region having a weighty matter to treat upon and the conclusion being doubtful thereof would ye not advertise the king's majesty or ever ye went through with the same yes yes my lord i doubt not therefore i would ye should banish your hasty malice and despite out of your heart and consider that we be but commissioners for a time and can nay may not by virtue of our commission proceed to judgment without the knowledge and consent of the chief head of our authority and having his consent to the same which is the pope therefore we do no less nor otherwise than our warrant will bear us and if any man will be offended with us therefore he is an unwise man wherefore my lord hold your peace and pacify yourself and frame your tongue like a man of honor and of wisdom and not to speak so quickly or reproachfully by your friends for ye know best what friendship ye have received at my hands the which yet i never revealed to no person alive before now neither to my glory nor to your dishonor and therewith the duke gave over the matter without any words to reply and so departed and followed after the king, which was gone into Bridewell at the beginning of the duke's first words. This matter continued long thus, and my lord cardinal was in displeasure with the king, for that the matter in his suit took no better success, the fault whereof was ascribed much to my lord, notwithstanding my lord excused him always by his commission, which gave him no farther authority to proceed in judgment without knowledge of the pope who reserved the same to himself. 
at the last they were advertised by their post that the pope would take deliberation in respite of judgment until his courts were opened which should not be before bartholomew tie next the king considering the time to be very long or the matter should be determined thought it good to send a new embassy to the pope to persuade him to show such honorable favor unto his grace that the matter might be sooner ended than it was likely to be or else at the next court in rome to rule the matter over according to the king's request to this embassy was appointed dr stevens then secretary that after was made bishop of winchester who went thither and there tarried until the latter end of summer as ye shall hereafter the king commanded the queen to be removed out of the court and sent to another place and his highness rode in his progress with mistress anne boleyn in his company all the green season it was so that cardinal campeggio made suit to be discharged that he might return again to rome and it chanced that the secretary who was the king's ambassador to the pope was returned from rome whereupon it was determined that the cardinal campeggio should resort to the king at grafton in northamptonshire and that my lord cardinal should accompany him thither where campeggio should take his leave of the king and so they took their journey thitherward from the moor and came to grafton upon the sunday in the morning before whose coming there arose in the court divers opinions that the king should not speak with my cardinal and thereupon were laid many great wagers these two prelates being come to the gates of the court where they alighted from their horses supposing that they should have been received by the head offices of the house as they were wont to be yet forasmuch as cardinal campeggio was but a stranger in effect the said officers received them and conveyed him to a lodging within the court which was prepared for him only and after my lord had brought him thus to his lodging he left him there and departed supposing to have gone directly likewise to his chamber as he was accustomed to do and by the way as he was going it was told him that he had no lodging appointed for him in the court and being therewith astonished sir harry norris groom of the stole with the king came unto him but whether it was by the king's commandment or no i know not and most humbly offered him his chamber for the time until another might somewhere be provided for him for sir i assure you quoth he here is very little room in this house scanty sufficient for the king therefore i beseech your grace to accept mine for the season whom my lord thanked for his gentle offer and went straight to his chamber whereas my lord shifted his riding apparel and being thus in his chamber divers of noble persons and gentlemen being his loving friends came to visit him and to welcome him to the court by whom my lord was advertised of all things touching the king's displeasure towards him which did him no small pleasure and caused him to be the more readily provided of sufficient excuses for his defense then was my lord advertised by master norris that he should prepare himself to give attendance in the chamber of presence against the king's coming thither who was disposed there to talk with him and with the other cardinal who came into my lord's chamber 
and they together went into the said chamber of presence where the lords of the council stood in a row in order along the chamber my lord putting off his cap to every of them most gently and so did they no less to him at which time the chamber was so furnished with the noblemen gentlemen and other worthy persons that only expected the meeting and the countenance of the king and him and what entertainment the king made him then immediately after came the king into the chamber and standing there under the cloth of estate my lord kneeled down before him who took my lord by the hand and so he did the other cardinal then he took my lord up by both arms and caused him to stand up whom the king with as amiable a cheer as ever he did called him aside and led him by the hand to a great window where he talked with him and caused him to be covered then to behold the countenance of those that had made their wagers to the contrary it would have made you to smile and thus were they all deceived as well worthy for their presumption the king was in long and earnest communication with him insomuch as i heard the king say how can that be is not this your own hand and plucked out from his bosom a letter or writing and showed him the same and as i perceived that it was answered so by my lord that the king had no more to say in that matter but said to him my lord go to your dinner and all my lords here will keep you company and after dinner i will resort to you again and then we will commune further with you in this matter and so departed the king dined that same day with mistress anne boleyn in her chamber who kept there an estate more like a queen than a simple maid then was a table set up in the chamber of presence for my lord and other lords of the council where they all dined together and sitting thus at dinner communing of divers matters quoth my lord it were well done if the king would send his chaplains and bishops to their cures and benefices yea marry quoth my lord of suffolk ye say very well and so it were for you too i could be contented therewith very well quoth my lord if it were the king's pleasure to grant me license with his favor to go to my benefice of winchester nay quoth my lord of norfolk to your benefice of york where consisteth your greatest honor and charge even as it shall please the king quoth my lord and so fell into other communication for the lords were very loath to have him planted so nigh the king as to be at winchester immediately after dinner they fell in secret talk until the waiters had dined and as i heard it reported by them that waited upon the king at dinner that mistress anne boleyn was much offended with the king as far as she durst that he so gently entertained my lord saying as she sat with the king at dinner in communication of him sir quoth she is it not a marvellous thing to consider what debt and danger the cardinal hath brought you in with all your subjects how so sweetheart quoth the king forsooth quoth she there is not a man within all your realm worth five pounds but he hath indebted you unto him by his means meaning by a loan that the king had but late of his subjects well well quoth the king as for that there is in him no blame 
for I know that matter better than you or any other. Nay, sir, quoth she, besides all that, what things hath he wrought within this realm to your great slander and dishonor? There is never a nobleman within this realm that if he had done but half so much as he hath done, but he were well worthy to lose his head. If my lord of Norfolk, my lord of Suffolk, my lord my father, or any other noble person within your realm had done much less than he, but they should have lost their heads or this. Why, then I perceive, quoth the king, you are not the cardinal's friend. Forsooth, sir, then quoth she, I have no cause, nor any other that loveth your grace, no more have your grace, if ye consider well his doings. At this time the waiters had taken up the table, and so they ended their communication. Now ye may perceive the old malice beginneth to break out, and newly to kindle the brand that after proved to a great fire, which was as much procured by his secret enemies, of whom I touched something before, as of herself. After all this communication the dinner thus ended, the king rose up and went incontinent into the chamber of presence, where, as my lord and other of the lords were attending his coming, he called my lord into the great window, and talked with him there a while very secretly. And at the last the king took my lord by the hand, and led him into his privy chamber, sitting there in consultation with him all alone without any other of the lords of the council, until it was night the which blanked his enemies very sore, and made them to stir the coals, being in doubt what this matter would grow unto, having now none other refuge to trust to but Mistress Anne, in whom was all their whole and firm trust and affiance, without whom they doubted all their enterprise but frustrate and void. Now was I fain, being warned that my lord had no lodging in the court, to ride into the country to provide for my lord a lodging, so that I provided a lodging for him at a house of Master Empson's, called Euston, three miles from Grafton, whither my lord came by torchlight, it was so late, or the king and he departed, at whose departing the king commanded him to resort again early in the morning to the intent they might finish their talk, which they had then begun and not concluded. After their departing my lord came to the said house at Euston to his lodging, where he had to supper with him divers of his friends of the court, and sitting at supper in came to him Dr. Stephens, the secretary, late ambassador unto Rome, but to what intent he came I know not, howbeit my lord took it that he came to dissemble a certain obedience and love towards him or else to espy his behavior, and to hear his communication at supper. Notwithstanding, my lord bade him welcome, and commanded him to sit down at the table to supper, with whom my lord had this communication under this manner. Master Secretary, quoth my lord, ye be welcome home out of Italy. When came ye from Rome? Forsooth, quoth he, I came home almost a month ago. And where, quoth my lord, have you been ever since? Forsooth, quoth he, following the court this progress, then have ye hunted, and had good game and pastime? Forsooth, sir, quoth he, 
and so I have, I thank the king's majesty. What good greyhounds have ye? quoth my lord. I have some, sir, quoth he. And thus in hunting, and like disports, passed they all their communication at supper, and after supper my lord and he talked secretly together, till it was midnight or they departed. End of section 16